Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about choosing a therapist. Why? Because Sasha and I have been talking a lot about our own personal journeys, how therapy has helped us, just the influence even on our own lives about being mental health professionals and us having to do the work. And we're encouraging you all to do the work as well, but we didn't tell you how. How can you do the work? So we wanted to take the time today to walk you all through that process. Yes, we're going to be walking you through that process really, really quickly before we do our normal thing. I just want to acknowledge that yesterday, March 8th, was International Women's Day. Every year they have a theme, right? And this year they had this theme of choose to challenge. And what they're trying to do is create a world where we have gender equality for women, where we are raising awareness against any biases that women may experience because of their gender. And just basically overall taking action for equality. So I just want to point that out and have all the listeners maybe give their mothers, the women in their lives, their girlfriends, sisters, whomever they know who identify as women. Just a quick shout out for everything that they do because we do a lot. (laughs) Yes, definitely, for sure. And it's also Women's History Month, of course. So this is not the only month you should celebrate women, but it is a special time to take that into consideration, acknowledge that and uh, celebrate women. But I think this is, for me personally, a very good segue into the check-in because I was speaking with a couple of women yesterday in terms of just like partnership and like networking and things like that. And I remember connecting with this one woman. She's been doing her thing for longer than we have and she has like a bigger platform and she's super beautiful and like you know, she, she seems to be really thriving in her success. And I remember thinking like, I'm not good enough and feeling a little bit of jealousy. And as we talk about Women's History Month and challenging, choosing to challenge, uh, I'm thinking about choosing to challenge myself and choosing to challenge and uplift other women. And I remember like before she came on the Zoom call, just thinking to myself, you are good enough just as you are, like you have a lot to bring, just as this woman is great at what she does and she has a lot to bring to the table and just thinking about what are ways that I can choose to uplift her as a woman and how I want that to be part of who I am as just an individual because I think a lot of times we do feel like well I I think like growing up I heard a lot about being jealous and kind of like putting other women down instead of uplifting each other and I definitely want to break out of that cycle of what I was raised to believe about other women like I want to be someone who supports and uplifts and I think like together we are such a force and I think we've done a great job in moving towards working together instead of bringing each other down but also remembering that that was not necessarily what I was taught growing up and making sure that I continue to implement that 
in my practice. So that's kind of like what I've been reflecting on every day. Like, how do I choose to challenge, uplift myself and other women every day and not just during International Women's Day or Women's History Month? Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that because I agree with you. I can't speak for everybody because I always say that. But the reality is I don't think that we have been taught to celebrate each other's wins. We've been taught to be a little bit jealous or have internal conflicts when we see other women win. And the reality is that unless you start celebrating other women's or whomever is around you, their wins in life and their successes, you're never really going to be able to to accept yourself as you are, right? Because that critic, it's inner and it's external. Because you best believe that if you're being critical of people outside, you're being critical of who you are inside. And I've also been just kind of practicing being really okay with who I am, how I show up. I've been noticing this week, I feel like I have these moments where I feel like the universe is talking to me. And I'm like, all right, universe, I'm listening. And I think the message is is really to just be secure in who you are and comfortable with how you're showing up and let that be enough for for me, right? With that being said, I want to challenge everybody who listens to this podcast, not just to start pointing out everybody else's wins, but start pointing out your own wins. Um, because it's I always say this, it's a two-way process and that is the only way it works. Absolutely. And one thing that I I try to remind myself too in this journey is that somebody else's win is not my loss. Uh, Mm. So also just keeping that in mind when thinking about the way that the ways that other people are winning and why we should celebrate and especially women. Shout out to (laughs) y'all. Yes. All right, so we can jump into our episode for today, which, as I mentioned earlier, is about choosing a therapist. So we're going to talk about how do you explore and acknowledge when you need a therapist, you know, like if you're feeling a little resistant, what is that about? And then going into like more concrete ways of like, how do you even start that process of choosing a therapist? That's so funny, because the minute you talk about acknowledging you need a therapist, I think about the first time. I sat my butt down and was like, yo, you need to see somebody. And the funny thing is that I was really about that life. I was a psych student in undergrad. I swore I had already known in my mind that I wanted to be on this path to become a therapist and I had still yet to see one. But I know that when I I hit that moment of, it was very clear for me. I could not handle my stuff because I was so overwhelmed was, was the minute I said, okay, I have to, I opened my computer up. And I started looking for a therapist who accepted my insurance and I was in and that was it. I took the leap of faith and I was in it and I'm still in it. (laughs) For me, I noticed that as I was getting older, I just started seeing that people were living a life that at least on the surface, what they were actually truly feeling was beyond me, but a life that was more fulfilling than mine was. And I just started to realize like, okay, something's wrong with me. And I felt like I couldn't connect with my family. So I would be like at family functions and be super awkward and like standoffish. It was hard for me to keep long-term friendships. Like I always was cool with people. I always had friends, but it was never like this super close relationship that lasted beyond whatever time we were together right so if you were like in college it wouldn't last beyond college or it would last a little bit and then like fizzle off so I always felt like something's wrong with you go fix it and I will admit that that's not necessarily the healthiest mindset 
you know, just to be perfectly honest, that that was what got me to therapy. And I think now as I'm older, I'm not too pressed about like what thoughts got me there. I'm just kind of happy that I got there. But for those of you who may be thinking or maybe reflecting on this now, um, I do want to acknowledge it's not about being broken. It's not that something's wrong with you. It's about putting yourself first and wanting what's best for you, understanding what you deserve, that you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be fulfilled. And you can create that for yourself. And a therapist is a great way to help get to that. So I do want to, again, emphasize, like, you deserve to feel good. You deserve happiness. You deserve everything you desire. Give that to yourself. And don't, or at least try, because I know it's it's really challenging, to not see it as, like, I'm broken. Something's wrong with me. More so thinking about what you want and what you need and how you should give that to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I love that because I don't think that when I first started therapy, I felt, oh, I deserve to get better. So these are like some signs that were coming up for me that I think come up for a lot of people when they finally make that decision to actually do therapy. It is because of the fact that these feelings get really overwhelming and you can't manage them every day. But um, changes in sleep, oof. If you mess with my sleep, I'm a completely different person. Being irritable most of the time, even though you don't want to show up that way, but it just kind of feels like your body is receiving a message that your mind is like not ready for. I don't know. It just, it, it almost, it could actually be real physical. For, like for me, when I'm irritable, like I have physical discomfort on my back. It's the weirdest thing. Feeling sad majority of the time, reacting towards others. If you notice yourself being extra defensive, trying to like protect something, that is a really good sign that you're trying to protect the quarter tank of gas that you have inside of you. You're like, I don't got any time. Like, please don't bother me. And the weird thing is that when that happens is that it makes you feel bad because you don't want to show up as that person. So then now it's like a double whammy. Now you have to deal with your shit inside and then you have to deal with the way you're reacting to other people feeling isolated, feeling overwhelmed. I think these things are really normal on a day-to-day basis. Like I think human beings experience all the feelings in their lifetime. I also spoke about this in the doing the work episode. I think that once it starts interfering with your everyday routine and it becomes problematic to manage, that is a really good sign that maybe you need a little bit of help figuring out where to place all these different feelings. And you should go see a therapist because that's how it was for me. I literally collapsed and I was like, all right, I give in. Yes. <laughs> um, and I feel like as you were talking about this, I related to a lot, especially what you said about feeling isolated, feeling overwhelmed, feeling irritable. Like I used to sleep a lot. And I remember when I was a teenager, because you know, like teenagers, they like to sleep a lot. Uh, they they have hormones, their bodies are changing, like they need rest. This is how they grow. But I remember the other kids in my school would be like, I went to bed at two in the morning and woke up at 11 and I'd go to bed like at nine and wake up at 11 and not really like making the <laughs> correlation that like, girl, you're sleeping a lot. Like, you know, like, yes, everyone's sleeping a lot. And I think it was confused with, oh, it's a teenager thing, right? Because they need extra sleep. But also realizing that my pattern, not, I didn't realize then, but I realize it now that my pattern were also really different and I think like one thing that was challenging for me and like what made me a little bit resistant about going to therapy was I just felt a lot of shame about it 
even though, like, you know, I think it's so crazy. Like, we're like, yes, we're going in the field. Like, you should <laughs> you yes. should see a therapist. And then you're also still struggling with a lot of your own shame, at, at least, like, for, for anyone else who's in the mental health field. I just always find that so interesting. But I think it's also a good thing to bring it up to those who are not in the field, even for those of us who understand and acknowledge the value of therapy it doesn't mean that we also don't experience the same things that you all do right I felt a lot of shame I, I was like I'm not normal the life that I have gro- had growing up was not easy it was not like everyone else's and I hadn't told people about my trauma like some people knew I don't want to get too much into my personal story but I was ashamed and scared that like if I if I told a therapist that maybe they would call the police or there would be some sort of like consequences for for that. I remember having like a lot of catastrophic thinking and worst case scenario thinking. And then I was also putting other people's needs before my own and thinking about well, what's going to happen to the people in my life if if I tell my story, which is also like a classic trauma response, (laughs) always worrying about everyone else but yourself. So Mm. glad I was able to push beyond that. But I think like it, it really just got to the point where I felt like super miserable. I just couldn't be in that place anymore. And I was like, I have to help myself. Like if nothing else, I have to help myself because clearly no one else is doing it. And I like I have too much life left in me to continue to feel this way. It's so interesting because you're talking about shame and You know, talk about cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. when you want to be in the field and then a part of you is ashamed to actually go see a therapist. So just for those who don't know what cognitive dissonance is, um, it's basically two conflicting ideas of yourself and who you believe yourself to be, but they're not matching. So in this case, Crystal and I both had the same experience where we wanted to be in this field and we wanted to help people. But for some reason, there was a lot of shame because I can definitely relate to that when it comes to actually seeing somebody. For me, the challenge, I think it came from the portrayal of what therapy is in in our media, in our news, right? Like you think about when someone shows up on the news and they have men- they have mental health issues. You think about how the media portrays someone who is in therapy. Like you see somebody in a straitjacket, you see somebody like going buck wild and no one can control them. That's really scary to lean into thinking that A, are people going to treat me this way? And B, am I going to be seen as this kind of person if I, A, admit to myself that I want to go see a therapist and B, tell other people, right? Like, and like, there's so many freaking cultural stereotypes with therapy. You think about mental institutions, like you're like, I don't want to be locked up. Like, these are the things that, and, and, you know, you never want to be a part of that it's it's you never want to feel like you're a part of that group that negative group that the way it's portrayed and also you don't want people to see you like that and what that does it it really puts you in like this scared state of like what move do I make next and it does not help the symptoms that you're having trust me uh but I highly recommend you take that leap of faith because it is not how it's portrayed on tv and I, I think a lot of people until they get into therapy they don't necessarily know what it's like until they have the experience. And to be quite honest, it's it's really normal. And it'll break a lot of those stereotypes and also make you a little more woke and like the words that you're using, like using crazy, bipolar, emotional, right? It'll make you start questioning like, what? why did I think these things? Yeah. And I think an, another part of me was also like absolutely worried about like, oh my God, I'm crazy and they're going to put me on medication. I remember medication being a big one for me. Ah, uh, yes. Medication is... <laughs> All right. So full transparency... I 
I have a very interesting history with medication. And even when I say that, I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm like crazy. No, (laughs) it was just I was on antidepressants, but I didn't get on the antidepressants until six months into my therapy because my therapist, I remember, I think it was the second week she had asked me if, if I was if I wanted to consider the antidepressants because my body was on constant alert. It wasn't relaxing. And I wasn't sleeping. I remember I would wake up and it felt like a, you know, white noise, a white noise machine was on in my head. Mm. And let me just backtrack and let everybody know why I got like that. This was literally exactly one year after my father had died. And this is when I kind of felt like I had like I had no choice. Like my feelings were coming up and they were bringing themselves into every part of me, my sleep, my work. I mean, I couldn't focus. I literally even saw the the world gray at that period of time. And I don't remember much from that year, to be quite honest with you. So, but I do remember being very resistant to medication and my therapist would occasionally bring it up and we would have conversations on like why I didn't want to do it. And I think similar to Crystal, there was a lot of shame of, oh, I'm crazy now. I have to take medication. And I can imagine, like, because I'm thinking back when I gave therapy, a lot of my clients were afraid that I was going to force them to take medication, mm. right? So because we're so scared of this, and it's so interesting, like, for me, I didn't want to. And it, I eventually decided to uh, because I realized that I needed my sleep and sanity. And it did really help. You do not have to take it until you're comfortable with it. And I think my story shows that because literally I was like, I was trekking it through for six months and then I was like, no more, I'm going to get some help. (laughs) And the reality is that when you take medication and you are consistent with your therapy, that is studies have shown that that is when you get the best results. Mm -hmm. I actually never had to, was not, it was never even a conversation actually in terms of like me taking medication, which I'm surprised but I think it was also because I was so high functioning like my depression is a very high functioning depression so like I can literally do everything I can work I can go out with friends and no one would know and I think that that for the most part was also a bit detrimental for me because it was like you're so high functioning no one even knows that you're depressed Mm -hmm. and I think like for anyone who feels a little off and is like "Mm, I think like something may not be right but you're like but I'm going to school I'm going to work I'm you know taking care of my kids I you know whatever the case may be I would challenge you to explore that a little bit more because I think that's why maybe I was never it was never recommended to me at all throughout my therapy journey but I remember when I first started therapy I was down like really it was pretty bad a lot of people, and this was my fear, right? Like the reason that we don't even think about it sometimes is because we don't want to be medicated our whole lives. Mm-hmm. There's this huge taboo to it. But just FYI, I don't take medication anymore because through the therapy and through the management with the medication, I learned how to manage my symptoms and the way I show up and what bothers me. It's way better because when I first started therapy, I didn't, <laughs> I sound like a pro at feelings, but I was like I was taking the intro class to to how to understand your feelings at that point. So it it takes time but it does get better and it's not a lifelong thing. And but I will say that for some people depending on your diagnosis and we're going to talk a, a little bit more about that. Like if you have something like bipolar disorder or borderline personality, you know, you do have to take medications for the duration of your life and also understanding that it, in those situations that's also okay because 
there's biologically something within you that needs to be kind of regulated and adjusted and that's where the medication comes in and that's that has nothing to do with the individual and the amount of work that they're doing it's more of the biological aspect of it I won't I won't get into it too much yeah thank you so much for bringing that up because there are some disorders that you you will need medication management as a a part of your therapy so thank you yes with that said, how do we even choose a therapist, right? Like, what mm. what is that process about? And I, I want to, to start off with, there's a lot of different types of therapies out there, right? With all of that said, it, it could be a little challenging to find out what type of therapy is best for you. In choosing a methodology, like, being very mindful of, you know, similar to what I said before, like, if you have a diagnosis whether it's bipolar, borderline personality, or if you have something that's a developmental disorder like ADHD, autism, right? Like then those are very specialized types of therapy. So just keeping that in mind that like for those, for individuals who have like a diagnosis, like your therapy journey is going to look different because you have to pick someone who's a specialist in that particular area. But for those folks who don't have a specific diagnosis, then this is kind of like more of that guideline for you. So there's different types of therapy. I'm not going to get through all of them, but just some examples is EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy. CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. There's psychotherapy, play therapy, marriage and family counseling, somatic therapy, which somatic meaning more um, a focus on the body again, very short list of the long list that that actually exists. But but based on what you're experiencing, Google what type of therapy might be best for you and look further into that type of modality, depending on what your your symptoms are, just to see what's best for you. Like if you feel a lot of discomfort in your body, because emotions are energy and energy lives in our body, depending on whether or not you let it out, then maybe somatic therapy might be best for you. If you are experiencing a lot of trauma, EMDR is one way that you can do it, right? So kind of like understanding your personality and what might be best. And then also make sure that that therapist also specializes in your type of need, right? If you're trying to get into therapy with your family, you might want someone who specializes in family systems, family dynamics, right? So that they can help you navigate that. If you've experienced trauma, you want someone who specializes in trauma. If you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, you want someone who has an understanding of the needs of that specific type of community. If you have an eating disorder, drug addiction, all of those things, you have to find a therapist who specializes in that so that they can really target the type of intervention that you would need. And I'm saying intervention, like this is, let me, so they could just help you with your needs, right? Like it doesn't have to sound, yeah, I'm saying intervention and sounds super daunting, but just so that they can really help you get to the root of what your issues are, right? Another thing that I really do want to emphasize as well, especially for us folks of color, is to find someone who's culturally sensitive. And Oh yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to be really honest, sometimes like especially for for us uh POCs, it's best to just connect with a therapist that's of the same cultural background if you can find one. Um I yeah. will say that there's been I've seen a lot of therapists of color kind of like coming into the field and um, really putting themselves out there. But still, you know, like if we're looking at at like a psychology today website, the majority of therapists are white. So 
it can be a little challenging, but I would say like do your best to find someone who is of the same cultural background or is well versed in working with people of different cultures because you don't want a therapist who doesn't relate to you and invalidates your experience. You don't want to spend 30 minutes of your time of your like 40 to 50 minute session explaining why what Karen said at work was a microaggression. Like you just, you just don't want to be wasting your time. Time is money. And we're going to get into that. So you just want to feel more comfortable. You just want to feel better understood and you want to feel validated about your experiences. Cause like I said, this is, an investment and also you matter right so like your level of comfortability is top priority there are many ways to even like find a therapist online so there's a lot of different search engines uh i'll try to compile a list um and put it on instagram or maybe i'll add it to the show notes of different places to find therapists but a really common one is psychology today and But there are a lot of search engines specifically for folks of color. So I do want to put that resource out there because, again, I, it can be a little challenging to find someone. So I want to make sure that we're able to assist on that. But usually you just got to do a Google search or even I've seen a lot of therapists have platforms like on Instagram. Um, and there you can kind of get a sense of the work that they do. And if there's someone who you connect with um they might be someone that you would like to reach out to oh my god you just brought up so much in me first of all (laughs) i just want to say i completely forgot that i had tried therapy through the counseling services at the college that i went to and this lady literally in two sessions because i was dealing with a lot of shit with my father at that time and my father was like a deadbeat you know just that you know normal not present kind of father story and i remember after i finished telling her what was going on and she had leaned in forward And just said, oh, my God, how are you dealing with all this? And I remember thinking, like, yo, is it that your job? (laughs) Like, lady, you're supposed to help me. (laughs) Yes. That, yo, you just brought me back. I completely forgot that I had that experience. And she was white. And it was very hard for her to understand my my broke-ass family's stressful problems (laughs) and it was very obvious that she couldn't understand it and I, I, I stopped going to her after two sessions I just stopped even if it was free so I think that's important to note that try finding someone who's going to understand your experience a little more the second thing that I want to point out is the you were talking about an investment um investing in therapy for me sometimes it's hard to to imagine like paying out of pocket on a weekly basis to see somebody. But the reality is like, yo, I get my hair done. I get my nails done. I like to look at it and that takes money, right? So if you're going to invest in yourself and your soul and show up authentically you and feel good about it, like it's a, the money is an investment in you the same way we do those other things. Absolutely. I love that you made that comparison about like getting your hair done, your nails did. It's like you want to feel good uh, and look good from the inside out. Right. So, yeah, yep. it is. It is truly an investment in all of who you are. Right. Inside and out. So I love that. Um, I was going to I'll wait to, to share my my story about my therapist who who was who was white um, prior to this. And, and in seven years, I didn't really I don't know how. This is so crazy. I really don't want to get into that. But like in seven years, I almost never like brought my cultural piece into therapy, which is also a problem. And I will say if I know, I know we'll we'll get into wow. it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into it. Later. We're laughing. It's not actually funny at all. This is my coping mechanism. Like, ha ah! um, <laughs> ha. 
Because I, I feel like in New York or bigger cities, like urban areas, it might be easier to find therapists of color. But if you live in an area that maybe isn't as diverse, I, I would maybe like even look into just a therapist of color, period, even if they're not the same cultural background as you, because they might just at, at the very least, they might not be able to relate to your specific experiences. But I think that there's something to be said about being well-versed in being like the quote unquote other or just trying to navigate those cultural norms in the predominantly white space. Um, Just also wanting to put that out there because sometimes they might not have the same cultural background as you, but maybe they've experienced something similar and just have more empathy and compassion and understanding of your experiences. So the fact that you mentioned that is really, it's 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 like one of the biggest pieces, in my opinion, to finding a therapist. There has to be some kind of understanding so that you don't feel the way Crystal felt, kind of like she couldn't bring parts of herself. Like, you should be in the right to bring your whole damn self (laughs) into that room and not feel any kind of way about it, like as if another person may judge you or whatever, because that judgment should not be there on the therapist's end, first of all. And for me, the most important piece to actually choosing a therapist and keeping a therapist is this word that they throw around in grad school all the time and it's rapport right so that's Mm. essentially like the relationship yo like when you're in grad school and you're just first starting like I'm gonna be a therapist you I need to build rapport like that is something they shove down your throat I don't know about anybody else but for me they did and Mm -hmm. the goal was to yeah right I think that's just basic stuff that they do to us but the goal was to get us to understand that if there's no connection on the client's end with us, there is absolutely no connection, period. So for me, building rapport is is super important because that's how you start trust. That's how you start the trust to actually show up as your whole self. That's how you start to say, oh, I can speak to this person and not feel, and maybe I am feeling insecure, but trust that they're going to validate me, like Crystal said. It's an interesting experience because I've been on both ends. I've been the therapist and I've also been the client. I think it's really easy for me to just kind of sit and be like, well, I'm seeking a service or I'm giving a service, right? So like as consumers in this capitalistic society, first, I think the best thing to remember is that you are getting something from a human being and most human beings are flawed, right? Like we're not perfect. No therapist is perfect. I don't care how they show up, how clean their shoes are. Um, (laughs) And the reality is that they, they, the connection might not always be there. So Let's say you get into your first session and you're like, I don't know about this person. But you also know that you don't trust people, right? Like there's there's your stuff coming up and then there's also the other person's stuff in the room. So I would suggest, A, giving them at least three sessions, right? Seeing what this person's about, seeing if you can actually establish a connection. B, be forthcoming about any questions or concerns that you may have mm-hmm. about the therapy. So what I mean by that is like, if you're feeling uncomfortable, bring it up. I encourage my clients to bring up whatever their feelings are because I might be doing something as a therapist that may be making you feel uncomfortable. And if I don't know and then you don't address it, I'm going to keep hurting you and you don't deserve to be. This This is not what therapy is about. Therapy is about you. So for me, I've noticed that a lot of people are uncomfortable addressing these feelings because, you know, I am the therapist. But like I said, we're both we're two humans in a room. So I think starting at that perspective kind of decreases the the intimidation piece because your therapist should never be intimidating to you ever. And if they are, you need to get out. Um, in, in, you need to get out after you had a conversation with them about it. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, you know, I just want people to remember they are an active participant 
in this dynamic because it takes two people. Um, it's not just solely a, like a you thing, even though it feels like you're the one with the issues, but you're the one requesting the service, right? Because you deserve it. And I will say that if after all of that, you still do not like your therapist, you are allowed to request to switch your therapist. You are not wrong. You are not going to hurt their feelings. Trust me when I say my feelings do not get hurt. You, it's kind of like, you know, you can't be friends with everybody. Sometimes it's just not a right fit. I think Sasha went into some of the the main points um, about having full agency. But I will say in terms of when you quote unquote shop around, you want to make sure that when you're like looking into therapists that you get a list of questions that you would like to ask that person, right? Because you, you definitely want to shop around, but you don't want to waste your time just interviewing every therapist that has some av- availability. A lot of times therapists will do a 10 to 15 or 20 minute consultation. And this is a time to see if they're the right person to offer what it is that you need. So you definitely can Google, like if you hit, if you do a Google search questions to ask a therapist, you will get so many options, uh, so many articles, uh, so many different types of questions. I know because this past uh, summer I did that and um, I had come up with some of my own questions, but I wanted to see what else people were were asking. Uh, For me personally, these were the things that were important to me. I'm going to read to you all the questions that I asked, but understand that you should Google and you should see what questions are out there and also come up with your own questions about what's important to you. Uh, For me, what I ask is, what is your general philosophy and approach to helping? Are you more directive or more guiding? So the reason why I ask this is because I had already been in therapy for seven years, so I really wanted a more targeted approach. I was seeing a psychotherapist, and with psychotherapy, it's more like, well, what's coming up for you? And it's very patient or all of it is patient oriented but it's patient oriented in the fact that whatever comes up whatever you talk about is what the therapist goes with as opposed to now I have a more directive uh, therapist who has an agenda for me right so it's different also do you need a therapist that's more nurturing versus someone mm-hmm. who's going to call you out I know my ex saw a therapist and she would call him out on his bullshit and I'm glad that she did because he definitely needed that stuff uh he definitely <laughs> needed someone to call him out don't they all need that shit trifling ex-boyfriend we'll save we'll save that story but she would have to like call him out right so like if you're you have to also be mindful like he had the type of personality where he could take being called out I am not that person you know also just kind of be mindful about what works best for you or if someone called me out it had to be in a much gentler way the next question is what are your areas of specialty right so I wanted to make sure that that person was well-versed in trauma therapy. For the most part, you can find that information online. You also want to get a sense of what have they practiced? Like what are the types of clients that they've worked with in the past? Because that'll speak to their experiences and what they can offer you. I also asked how long have you been practicing? For me personally, I just wanted someone with a little bit more experience I asked what licenses and certifications do you have? And again, that kind of goes back to like, if you're a psychotherapist, that's a very special form of a certification. If you work with people who are addicted to drugs, that's a very special certification. So I was just curious what kind of training, what kind of background they had. 
my next question was, what has been your approach or framework for practicing with people of color, specifically the Latinx community? And I think this was added as a question because I was having a hard time finding a therapist that accepted my insurance that was also a therapist of color, which can Mm. also be a big, big, big challenge. So I did try to keep an open mind to find someone who was not the same cultural background as me. But I actually found a, a, a Dominican therapist, so she she gets it. She knows Dominican culture inside and out. So <laughs> I ended up I ended up finding someone who was a really good fit in that regard. I had to I had to ask the questions. Like it, it came down to to the money. How much do you charge? What are your sliding scale options? Do you accept insurance? Right. So just kind of figuring out about how to pay for therapy. I, I understood that because I was having a hard time finding someone within my network that was culturally the same background as me, I did want to explore the option of paying out of pocket, sliding scale, or using my out of network benefits to see someone. Because I was like, I, I, it's really important for me to find someone that was a good fit, especially after being with someone who wasn't a good fit. And and I also asked, the last question is, would you be able to start therapy immediately? Because sometimes therapists have, you know, like a wait list or something like that. Like I wanted to know, like, how soon can I start seeing this person? Like what's their availability? I think that, I think that the points that you're bringing up are really good. I just happen to be with the therapist that I like and it works for me. Sometimes it takes a little more work. And I think that that's what Crystal's showing. For me, what definitely, I guess, caught my attention was, you know, how much experience the person has. And if they're going to be, if you're going to actually have to be paying out of pocket versus having your insurance deal with it. I, for me, like when I think about that, it, it does deter people away from therapy once they realize they have to pay out of pocket or once they, they're like, oh, this person may not be as experienced as I would like them to be. But I, I think that for Crystal's case, she was looking for a very specific structured therapy. I just want to mm-hmm. remind people of that. Like if you've never been into therapy and you just want to get into it, I would suggest just kind of feeling out the person and seeing how they work and asking them what their specialty is, searching these things on your own, and then figuring out what could work for you, but also still encouraging people to to start somewhere because sometimes it could feel so overwhelming and you don't know where to move left, right, up, down, and then you just stay stuck. So back to like the investment piece uh, and the insurance piece, I do want to speak a little bit about that because I think that that was ultimately also one of the biggest deciding factors for me with choosing a therapist is affordability. Um, because at the end of the day, even if I really, really liked the therapist and they were $175 a session and they didn't take insurance. Um, and if I wouldn't have had out of network costs, like I'm like, this is, this is a big determining factor. Cause I can't, can I actually fit this in my budget? So if the person doesn't accept your insurance or if you don't have insurance, you definitely want to ask if they provide services on a sliding scale, meaning that they will adjust their rate based on your income or if they have a fee that you can realistically afford out of pocket. So if someone accepts your insurance, you do want to make sure that you understand your responsibility if you have a copay, like what are you paying as the copay? Because you will have to pay this copay for every session. So make sure you budget your therapy cost. And also if you're doing something on a sliding scale, making sure that you can afford that and ask what are the policies that that specific therapist has for a sliding scale service? How is the fee determined? If you lose your job or your salary or your pay changes, 
you know, what happens? Is the fee determined on a yearly basis? Like, is there a consistent schedule upon which your fee is reestablished based on your pay? And what documents need to be provided? And then um, I did want to cover a little bit of out of network and how my specific insurance company handled it. And the reason why I wanted to speak to that is because I remember having to call, and this is why I say insurance companies are trifling. I remember having to call a minimum of four times and speak to different reps each time to try to understand exactly how out of network costs, like how does that work? Because everyone was just reading to me whatever was in the booklet. Like, I'm like, I I already saw that online. Like, I need someone to actually explain this to me in a way that makes sense. So luckily on my fourth try, I found someone, shout outs to her, that explained it to me. So this is specifically for Empire, but I hope that it helps people who don't have that specific insurance to try to figure it out. Empire covers a certain amount that they pay once the deductible is met, and that is the allowable amount. So just to backtrack really quickly, a deductible is the amount of money that you have to pay for your insurance out of pocket for all out-of-network costs before the insurance company starts to kick in to pay for any services that you receive out of network. Once you meet that deductible, then that's when the allowable amount becomes a very important factor. My plan with Empire covered 80% of the allowable amount, and I would cover 20% of the allowable amount. So this term allowable amount is really where things get kind of, I don't want to say tricky, but you have to be very well versed because let's say my therapy would have been $200. Empire's allowable amount, and I'm making this number up, was only $100. So what is covered is 80% of that 100%. And then the 20% of that $100 I have to cover. So that means not only do I have to cover 20% of that $100 allowable amount, which is $20, but then I still had to cover the other $100 that was not part of the allowable amount from the insurance. So my ultimate out-of-network cost was $120, not $40, right? Because it's like that 80-20 split. So you have to be very careful about these things because I feel like these insurance companies tell you like, you pay 20%, right? But it's of the allowable amount. So you have to find out what that amount is so that you can actually determine what the price of, um, what the ultimate cost that you're going to pay is. Um, my specific insurance company had certain, needed certain information to find out what the allowable amount was. And it was the basically the doctor's name or the therapist's name their NPI number, which is their national provider identifier, the CPT code, which is your diagnosis. Like, do you have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder? Do you have bipolar disorder? Like, what is the actual diagnosis that your therapist is giving you? And the fee for services. So, you know, like that $200 amount that I used in the example. A lot of times without a network, what happens is you have to pay the full cost up front and then wait to be reimbursed. So that's also something that I had to determine when budgeting. Like, can I afford to pay for all of this out of pocket before getting my money back? But yeah, I know that was a lot to to handle and take in, but I just wanted to make sure that you all understood that piece because it is really important um, to think about how you're going to afford therapy. So a couple points, Uh, something that I want to touch on. A, good for you for investing in yourself. I know it hits a little hard and I know it's not something we're used to, but that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Like 
put the money into you so you could be a better you if you have to and if you can. B, I want to go back to what you spoke about CPT codes because this is the diagnosis code. This is me advocating for anybody who's going to therapy, right? You should know what you're being diagnosed with, even if your insurance is paying it. So you should definitely ask about the CPT code regardless. Because what if your therapist is diagnosing you with something that you may not agree with? These are things that you should be having a conversation Mm -hmm. on because your treatment plans are based off of this. So you should be the most knowledgeable on yourself, especially when you're in therapy. Uh, Not to say that you can't trust therapists. I think there are a lot of trustworthy therapists, but there are also a lot of messed up people in this world. So, And just because you're a therapist, it does not take, it does not mean that you are apart from that. Lastly, I just really want to thank you because I think it's, it's so normal for us to stray away from anything complicated. And Crystal is really, really organized. And I, I really appreciate how she organizes information uh, for herself and for others. But I definitely would not have called. And I, do, I think I just would have just started paying out of pocket to not deal with the stress of dealing with people on the phone. But the reality is that a lot of these insurance companies, I think from my experience of it, they want to give the least amount of money possible for a service that you're providing. So being knowledgeable on these things is super, super important. Um, now I'm about to call my insurance and see if I could, if I have any kind of out-of-pocket network privileges, but I highly doubt that. Speaking of insurances, I do want to touch on the fact that when you have different insurances, you get a different kind of service, especially within the mental health field. This is why you don't find a lot of quote-unquote really good therapists taking insurance because there's, there's, it's really problematic and it's a lot of paperwork. So it's just easier to, to get paid out of pocket and set up your own private practice. But if you're not there yet, you usually start working in these really large companies or groups of therapy. And it's an interesting experience because I, I started there. I started getting experience in these places where they only accepted Medicaid. And or they only accepted a certain level of insurance, which is usually on the lower end and meaning that that insurance company will not pay out for the services provided. So basically, you're setting yourself up understanding that you're not going to get paid the same way a private clinician gets paid or a private therapist gets paid. This can be tricky and this could get a little weird, in my opinion, especially if you don't know about therapy and what it is that you should be doing and how you can be advocating for yourself or what insurances or how insurances kind of like make the service a little messier than it needs to be. For me, when I think about these places that only accept like I would say low, you know, I'm calling lower end insurances, the insurances that don't pay out as much as other insurances do. Not to say that I think I don't know anything about insurance, but I know that the insur- there are a lot of insurances that will not pay out a high amount for a service provided for a therapist. What they do is they, they usually place these in communities uh, that are on the lower so- end of the socioeconomic status because most of the people do have these insurances. And it could be really, really useful. But I also think that people should know what they're getting themselves into because when you have this establishment set up, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can turn into a bad thing, especially if you don't know what the credentials of that therapist is or what it is or how long they're going to stay. Because the reality is a lot of these places, they take in a lot of unlicensed therapists straight out of school. And I was one of them and I'm not bashing it at all. I actually am very grateful for my experience, but no one really tells the the client that 
these people, aka where I was, were were there to get our license. We were being supervised by an actual licensed therapist. And sometimes this, this, for me, in my opinion, this could create issues, right? So let's say you really like your therapist. This is best case scenario. And then the therapist tells you, okay, I finally got my hours and now I'm going to be leaving in six weeks. That could be a really huge emotional trigger to a lot Mm -hmm. of people because we don't know what your experience is. And I think that these are things that instead of having it come too late, it should be spoken about a little earlier on. So before you start the therapy, especially if you're in one of these kinds of places, I highly suggest you do research on the place that your therapist works in, as well as research on your therapist, just to see if you have the opportunity, because if they're a little more established, they probably will have their pages set up and that you can tell they have a little more experience. If you can't find them, chances are that you're going to have to have a conversation with them and ask them like, hey, are you out of school? Are you trying to get your hours? How long have you been practicing? Even if it was like interning, right? Because you have the right to know. I think that the more knowledgeable you are in the beginning, no matter where it is that you're receiving therapy, the better off you'll be because that's going to set you up for appropriate expectations. I remember one time, I remember one time I I made a mistake and I didn't tell the client that I had started with. I was there to get my hours and I wasn't licensed. It never got brought up in conversation. And this was, you know, my bad. Because I was also starting and I I wasn't sure what to say, what to do. You know, you also want to be knowledgeable and you want to come off knowledgeable and you want to come off as somebody competent. But then when I told the person, I think it was a year and a half into me seeing them that I was leaving and I explained why, they had a really strong reaction to that. And I felt really bad because I knew that I had messed up and I should have been more transparent with them. So let's say your therapist isn't being transparent with you. That is the time to ask them. What are the intentions? How long do they want to stay in this place? And then you can make a plan on how to work with what it is that you both are doing there, right? Because you're there to get help. They're there to help you and also get hours, get a little more training in. And if you're comfortable with that, I think it could be a really healthy relationship where you are doing the work. I want to address that if you can't pay out of pocket and then you are in one of these situations where your insurance doesn't pay for, you know, the quote unquote best services. And I don't even like saying that, to be honest with you, because I don't think you could be paying a hundred. I paid $175 one time to see a couples therapist and he was not good. Let me tell you. And that was $175 down the drain. I think you can find good service anywhere. I think good service is dependent upon the person who is sitting in front of you and why they chose to be in this field. Uh, Because I think a lot of us have these therapeutic skills prior to coming into to mm-hmm. grad school and getting our training, like like empathy or the desire to help to help others, which should change in the, into the desire to guide others because your therapist should not be involved in your life like a best friend. Let me just say, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I think that you can get really good work done even with people coming out of college because you know, like I said this once before, life will teach you how to be a good therapist if you're in this work and you mean it, but. If you do have a problem with somebody not having the experience you would prefer, you can always request to change. Hopefully you get that request. Sometimes the more experienced therapist caseload is a little higher and probably a little more packed. You may not have that opportunity, but I do still think it's valuable to to A, explore what it is about their inexperience that that might make you feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and then bring it to the table. 
right? Like I'm all about that communication because a lot of people, after I had that incident, I would be very fully transparent with my clients and I would let them know, this is my plan. I don't plan on leaving in a year, but I can't make any promises further than that. And they were very comfortable with that. And the more transparent you are, the better the relationship can be and the more work you'll probably end up doing. So overall, I think that being educated and being vocal about your feelings while in therapy is probably the main takeaway point for me. I'm glad that you brought up that type of therapy experience because that is how I started off therapy because I had when I first started therapy back in grad school, I had Medicaid. So I went to the Brooklyn Center for Psychotherapy. I don't know if they're still open. I would assume that they still are, but who knows? Um, and that was a location that it was kind of like a clinic and they had like these big long hallways and then there's rooms in these hallways and there's therapy happening all around. I remember going to the waiting room and being shocked at the amount of people that were there. I was like, I thought I was seeing a therapist. These, all these people are not seeing my therapist. And everyone was there for their own appointment. But it was similar to what Sasha was saying. Like at that point, my therapist was getting her hours as a licensed mental health counselor. And then she ended up leaving. At that point, I think because my therapist was starting her own private practice, she was accepting clients on a sliding scale. So I was able to leave Brooklyn Center and go to her private practice and pay $50 a session. Um, and at that time, I had also convinced my sister to go see someone at that same center. And when her therapist left, my sister couldn't afford her own therapy. Like she would have to be transferred to another therapist. She ended up not going back to therapy because she felt like she had established this relationship with this specific therapist and she didn't want to see someone else. I, I will say like, even in those places, there there definitely are good therapists. But similar to what Sasha said about how that client reacted strongly, my sister had a similar experience. Like my sister didn't realize that this therapist wasn't going to be there in the long term, and it it deterred her. So I think it is important to bring these things up so that you can, like, if if you have to go to one of these clinics. One, know that you can shop around. Um, you can ask to see another therapist, and that's a, a right that you have as a person receiving services. But two, just keeping that in mind, if like that's the only type of place that you can afford to get therapy, just kind of also mentally and emotionally preparing yourself for the possibility that you might only see this person for a year, two years, and then you're going to have to transfer to see someone else. Something that I do want to say, it's because I feel like I keep advocating for therapy and I'm like, yeah, yeah, go, 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 go. And I feel like I might be pressuring some, some people. I think therapy is a beautiful thing, but I also do want to acknowledge that sometimes it is not working. And these are the times when you realize that it is not working. So we touch upon it, but I just want to make sure people are clear. If you do not feel safe in the room with your therapist and it's past the three sessions, I would say have the conversation and you still don't feel safe, you should switch your therapist or find another place or figure out another way to get help. If the person is disclosing too much of themselves, I consider that a big no-no, especially in the beginning, because yes, eventually you will create a relationship with your therapist, depending on who that person is and how they work. And you will get to, to feel a little more um, connected with them the way you would like family or friends. But there's always that boundary that they are the therapist and you are the client and it should always be about you, right? They should not be talking about themselves too much. 
to to that point, a therapist may disclose something about themselves, but it always has to be in what our therapist uh, jargon um, is in service of the work, right? So it has to be in service Mm -hmm. of your benefit. So even if they do disclose something about themselves and some therapists will kind of like share a story where they can relate, it has to be in the service of you and helping your personal growth. It can't just be like, so let me tell you about my cats and what they did last weekend when you're talking about (laughs) your mom. Like, you know, like that, that's not okay. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely not okay. I would would call them, I call that person out as not a good therapist. And I've met them too. So I'm not, I would not be surprised if people come across that. If you notice that your therapists are canceling sessions on you, kind of like someone you like who's avoiding you, that's a good time to be like, nah, I'm out too. And you switch, don't stop, but switch. Um, If they are not approaching the problem from your perspective, that's tricky, right? Because a lot of people who come into this field, like I said, they want to help, but sometimes they don't know how to put their stuff in the back seat and just kind of deal with what it is that you're dealing with, like your behavioral patterns. It, It always has to be with, from your perspective, like they have to get to know you and they have to understand how you function without interjecting so much that they it feels like you're getting advice on what to do also this is i've seen this happen so i just want to put that out there do not let anybody talk at you ever especially a therapist if they're telling you what to do mm -mm, that is not okay with me they are not practicing the right way that's another good reason to switch so whatever it may be just know that This is just like buying clothes, right? The first time you go to therapy, it kind of feels like you like it. Okay, I like this shirt. I'm going to buy it. You go home. Ah, you didn't like it anymore. You want to go return it. I hate to say it, but you can do the same with therapy. It's not as fluid and it's not as an easy process, but you can definitely try to figure out like what shirt or what therapist fits you best. And it is a process. So really that that was our episode, but I think that the information here today was really, really helpful. And I would suggest, uh, you know, if you know a friend who's looking for a therapist, definitely share this information. You want to make sure that as a consumer of goods, um, that you are always receiving the best quality given what's at your disposal financially with insurance, etc. With that said, make sure to follow us on Instagram at NeverToldUsPod and definitely let us know what you thought about today's conversation. You can also email us at NeverToldUsPod at gmail.com. And make sure to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us.